All right, well, welcome, guys, to New Testament 2. So this is going to cover um, Acts of the Apostles, St. Paul, the letters of St. Paul, the Catholic epistles, and Revelation, all in five weeks. So there's no way that we'll get through it all. It's just there's too bad. I mean, it's too vast. You ask any of your priests at the parishes, and they're going to tell you uh, that they took classes just on St. Paul whole 15-week classes where they wrote 20-page papers, you know, in seminary on St. Paul. So we're going to try to do this in a quick pace um, in, in a way that uh, will give you a, a decent understanding, a good understanding of Acts and of the, of the early church and Peter and Paul, but also in a way that's kind of basic and simple where you, you can also continue to go on and study, study for yourself as well. Uh, after these classes. Um, and then what the, the other thing is this year I have changed this class quite a bit, a little, uh, well, a little bit. I've taught this class now for four years. And after being a high school teacher for, for six years, you learn to start changing things up a little bit. So you guys are welcomed. You're the first class in five years now that's not taking the quiz on the first day. So uh, usually, usually I quiz them Usually I quiz everyone, it's just, they're st they're, these quizzes are so easy, a caveman could do it, okay? I mean, they're real easy, they're not hard. I mean, some of the, some of the questions are, are, there's only one answer, and the other answers are so absurd that you're like, I could never pick those answers. Like, I put Bishop Olmstead on there, I put me on, okay, he has nothing to do with Acts of the Apostles, okay? So, um, so it's so you guys will have two, you guys will have next week we'll have a quiz over today's notes, and then the reading for fifteen through eight, fifteen through twenty eight. There, it's ten it's ten questions, multiple get I call it multiple guess, multiple choice. Okay, real easy. Um, and then there'll be a quiz on uh, the lecture notes from St. Paul. You guys are doing a presentation actually this year. That's a big change from what I've done in the past. So the fourth class, you guys are actually going to present, uh, and I'll uh, on a, a short presentation. You'll you'll come up here. You'll present. You'll it it won't take long. It's not very hard. It's a very easy assignment. And then the last week, uh, you guys will. Uh, and then we'll, last week we'll do the Catholic epistles, the Catholic letters, and the Book of Revelation. So. Um, and then the, there's a final assignment, a paper of a thousand words, and there you answer three different questions. So um, it's not it's not difficult. It's 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 pretty, everyone's like, oh no, okay. I don't know who you guys have before me. So, but once you have me, you'll be prepared for Katrina Zeno, which is like uh, going through the gauntlet of the theology of the body. So, um, so my name is Tom Perna. I am the director of family catechesis at St. Mary Magdalene Catholic Church in Gilbert. Uh, I have been there for five and a half, uh, almost five and a half years. For four and a half years, I was the director of evangelization and catechesis at the parish, handling mostly at first our CIA and then our adult faith formation program. And that was my love. I love teaching adults. I love teaching in general. Uh, so again, like I said in the beginning, this is a class I've looked forward to since it ended last year because I like teaching and I have an ability to, uh, you know, uh, to teach and, and, the, and my love for the faith, I hope, comes through uh, in, this, uh, in this class. 
Um, I recently got married. I was married in September uh, to my, my beautiful wife, uh, uh, Megan, who, uh, and we are also now expecting. So we just found, we're uh, August 26th will be the due date for baby Perna coming into the world. Um, we met at a Catholic beer club here in town in August of 17, got engaged that same, uh, on the, got engaged on the Immaculate Conception uh, of 2017, and then we married last year on the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, and, and that's all, that was all planned. So I was looking at those dates. So I apply, because I'm a big Mary guy. So I have a, I have a series called Mondays with Mary on my blog. Uh, and I write, I've been writing, I've been writing that series for almost seven years. So I have a big love for the Blessed Mother. So I, I, I proposed on the Immaculate Conception, and then we got, we got married on the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which is September 8th of this year. Um, if I get a chance, I'll try to bring in some pictures from the wedding. Uh, our photographer took 9,000 pictures at our wedding. Uh, and uh, and gave us almost 2,000 of them. So, uh, so there's a lot of pictures, but the pictures we've been using online and stuff. Uh, we were mapped, my, my, my good friend, Bishop Lopes, Bishop uh, Stephen Lopes, who's the Bishop of the Personal Ordinary of the Chair of St. Peter. It's the Anglicans that converted to Catholicism. Uh, he came out and married us along with, there were four other priests. So there was one bishop and four priests. So... Um, Beautiful mass, but it was hot. It was September, it was 100 the day. We were outside taking pictures and it was 107, 107 degrees. And all her family's from the north. She's originally from South Dakota. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we, uh, once I, I, I knew, I met her, and the night, the, the 24 hours later, I knew I was gonna marry her. So, well, actually that night, as I was walking to the restroom, because we're drinking beer, I'm walking in the bathroom. I'm, I'm walking in the bathroom, going, I could probably marry this girl. So, and I had known her for about two hours. So, and she felt she felt the same way. So, so what's the name of this place? Uh, well, well, it's called it's called Catholic Beer Club, and they're all over they're all over town. But where we met was at Helton Brewery, Helton Brewery which is on 24th Street in Indian School. So. Uh, I think, well, we talked for two hours there. I, mean, I had like two beers there, and then we went to Cold Beers and Cheeseburgers on 7th Street in Missouri and went and had another couple beers there and hung out. So well, it was not the alcohol. I had, one, I had like one beer in my hand, and it was like I barely took any sips. And my buddy, who just got married in October, he's the one that forced me to come. He's a former student of mine because I used to teach at St. Mary's High School. And... Uh, so uh, he's like, come, come, come. And I'm like, man, I don't want to drive 35 minutes for uh, this Catholic Beer Club thing. And I'm like, these things are they're, they're terrible. They're awkward. It's just like, so, uh, so it's just, yeah, I wasn't a fan. And he's like, just come. I came and I met my wife. So, And she also likes guys with beards. So she dated guys with beards. So I was growing a beard at the time. So now the beard's not going anywhere. So you can Google, I grew a beard and now I'm getting married. That's one article I wrote. And then another one was Bruise, Bruise, A Beard and a Beauty, A Catholic Love Story. And that's how we met. So that's all on my, that's all on my, uh, on my blog. So, so that's a little bit about me. Um, 
I mean, that's, I'm kind of, my life is boring now. Uh, I mean, it's exciting, but it's just like, we don't, I mean, now it's just like, now we're preparing for a child to come into the world. So, uh, and I'm, and I'm 40, I just turned 45. So I just, this is the first time I've ever been married. So I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be 50 having probably our last kid. So I'm going to be, I'll be doing the Moses thing, Moses and Abraham thing, you know, having kid having kids at, at, at an old, at an old age. So, um, Okay. Let's jump into Acts of the Apostles. Um, so I have uh, PowerPoint slide for you here, and then we'll kind of kind of give you an overview. Like I said, I love teaching them. So if, I think you guys see. I'm make sure I'm not blocking. I'm not blocking. So Acts of the Apostles. Um, that helps. I mean, is that yeah? Is that help? Can everyone see? Is the light is the lighting a little bit better? Um, yeah, can you see? Okay, because yeah, I've got to make sure I'm with the cameras right there for me with them, and then um, so if I go out of angle, just let, let just let me. Oh, oh, you, oh man, you got, oh, you got the. Well, that's like the hand of God right there. Okay, all right, so, okay, all right, so, um, so Acts jumps jumps us into the very early church. Um, I mean, it's about literally right from the ascension. I mean, we see Jesus early on in Acts. Uh, right in the beginning, but it literally from the ascension to, to Paul's imprisonment. So, um, all right. Okay, so the author of Acts is St. Luke, and it's the second part of his great prose. So St. Luke, the gospel writer, also now is writing Acts of the Apostles. We believe it was written somewhere around 63 to 65 A.D., So the handout I gave you should follow with my notes. Uh, like I said, St. Luke, the evangelist, is the author. Uh, we believe that he was a physician, but also a historian, and a very detailed historian, but also a theologian, because we have to remember, even though the gospel writers were specifically writers, they were also theologians. They were early theologians. It was written about the same time. Yeah, it's somewhere in that same time. It all based on different calendars too. Oh, okay. That's the one. Yeah, I don't know why that's. I don't remember getting that in that this book. Okay. Yeah, John's gospel was probably, John's is one of the ones that was later, so. Yeah, no, I mean, I, the, the stuff I've learned in my years of study, okay, uh, is always around this time period, so. Um, St. Jerome actually talks about St. Luke as the, the ailment for the soul, um, that his writing uh, is, the, is the remedy for the soul. Um, so again, second volume of the two-volume work continues with the life of Jesus and then moves into the early days of the church. 
Um, not just a history book, but it's a teaching book. And again, like I said, just as the other gospel writers, St. Luke is also a theologian. So we're getting, we're getting um, history from St. Luke, but we're also getting good theology as well. He was a good historian who checked, evaluated, and collected his sources very well. And then when you look at St. Paul's letters, the history seems very accurate. The theme is really just the reliable history of the first 30 years of the church, from the ascension of Jesus Christ to Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And then what we also see is this growth of the kingdom of God is a main theme in Luke. Because we see that the kingdom of God at the beginning of Acts, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And then at the end, we also see Paul talking about the kingdom of God. And we see that the church and the kingdom of God are the same thing. So it's what we call in, in like theology that's a literary boomerang. So you see, you see, you see kingdom of God in the beginning, and then it's kind of so it's bookend. But then we're seeing it all throughout as well, because that's a big thing with with um, with Paul too is trying to understand understand the kingdom of God. Uh, but and then how the church and the kingdom all all relate to one another. I forgot to tell you guys too is I have a my MA's in theology from Fran well one of my masters is from Franciscan University Steubenville so I have a masters from uh, from there studied under Scott Hahn Dr John Bergsma if you know any of those if you know those names everyone kind of knows Hahn but John Bergsma uh, is uh, also kind of up and coming he's more than up and coming but. Um, he's, he's a theologian now, so I took a lot of my scripture classes with him. Um, and then my other master's is from the University of Phoenix in education, so I have teaching experience and um, taught high school theology for six years. Four years at St. Mary's High School here, and then two years at um, uh, St. Dominic Savio out in Austin, Texas. So, yeah, which is a, yeah. The, the handout, yeah, yeah. The handout, my notes, and and the, yeah, and then your RS, your your Bible as well. Okay, so the summary. There's a four-part summary of Acts of the Apostles. So the introduction is the is a connection to the Gospel of Luke. And the prologue harkens back to the Gospel of Luke. And then we have, in the introduction, we also have the ascension of Jesus Christ.
first part is everything kind of what we've read, which if, you, if you've never read Acts, or if you, if you didn't read it for tonight's, for today's class, which they forgot to tell you guys to read it. But we get the, so the church is in Jerusalem. So it's the early, early Christians' life in Jerusalem. We get the election of Matthias because Judas is now gone. Okay, we get one of the big great feasts of the of the church, Pentecost. And we'll talk about we'll talk about that shortly because Pentecost, there's a lot to Pentecost. You get the miracles, you start to see the preaching of the twelve. There's an increase in the, the faithful start to increase rapidly, meaning Pentecost. Many people are baptized right away. You get the election of the deacons that are there to assist. And then we also start to see that persecution comes from the Hellenists. We start to see the we see Greeks and we see Christians. We've got the martyrdom of Stephen. And then at the end of the first part of Acts, we see the church starting to make its way out of Jerusalem. The second part, now the church is spreading towards out of Jerusalem. The preaching begins now in Judea. So you get from, from Judea into Samaria and into Syria, which is well, like modern-day Syria. We see the Gentiles starting to join the church. There's the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, which plays an important role for us as Catholics. He's kind of, a, we'll talk about him shortly as kind of a proto-Catholic. A proto Ethiopian what? Eunuch. Then we start to see the, the great conversion of Paul, who becomes known as, and we'll talk about Paul quite a bit, but the, and you guys are going to do that presentation on some of his letters, the apostle to the Gentiles. That's Paul's, that's kind of his big name. That's, what, that's how we know him. Even though he did speak to Jews, uh, really he was the one that went, went and preached to the Gentiles. We see the conversion of Cornelius. And then the second part ends with the death of James, who's the brother of John.
and then we see Peter arrested and also miraculously escapes. So the one thing we have to remember is the first part of Acts is really all about Peter. Even though we see the conversion of St. Paul in 9, the focus is on Peter. The second part of Acts, which really starts 15, but you, you would even suggest, even probably chapter 14, um, it's all about Paul. So again, we see them interacting with one another, but the two great figures are Peter and then Paul. From the third part, again, we see the church spreading among the Gentiles. And then the missionary journey of St. Paul. And that starts, we see that in Acts 13, verse 1 to 20, verse 38. 13.1-20.38. And he's starting to bring the gospel message to the pagan people, to the Gentiles. And as he, as he starts these journeys, he, he, starts the he becomes the founder of all these different churches in these different cities. So we're familiar, you know, like we're used to diocese, we're used to our own diocese, okay? And there's, you know, there's, mul there's multiple churches in a diocese. Well, in the early church, it wasn't like that. It was one church in one city. So Ephesus had, had one, and they weren't even really like churches that we're used to because it was illegal to be Christian. So they were, they were either in homes, um, and then even getting into the second and third centuries, which we won't talk about, but they started, before Constantine legalized Christianity, they started to build churches and then they would knock them down. But early on, they're either in the catacombs or they're in somebody's home. So as he starts, the, so, he, so Paul, he finds these churches and then eventually, and we'll, talk, we'll, see, this, we'll see this in week three, the issues start to arise. Well, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we handle this? And then Paul starts writing the letters, so Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians. We see this understanding of where he's writing to them when they're writing to him because things are starting to arise. Uh, now, here's the other big thing that happens in the third part of Acts is the church begins in Antioch. And that's a key city in the ancient world, especially for Christianity. Because Antioch becomes the springboard for, every other, for, for, for these guys going everywhere. It wasn't Jerusalem. A lot of people think that Paul and Peter went from Jerusalem to Rome. Well, that's not really the case. They went to Antioch, where the church was really established. And then from there, then they start springboarding to other communities. And then eventually they both are, Peter goes to Rome, and eventually St. Paul is brought to Rome. In, in chains. So Antioch's a very important, and it becomes, when you get into the, like when you study the early church fathers, Antioch is still a very, a very important city. Alexandria, Antioch, Jerusalem, um, um, 
Constantinople. Those were the major cities of the East. If you're familiar with any of the Eastern churches, the Eastern rites of the churches, the Maronite rite, uh, they really kind of, they take a lot of their, the, um, the Maronites are like the Le like Lebanese, that's kind of the Lebanese traditions come out of that area. Uh, that's where we start to see the, um, that's kind of where the, where the Maronite and Lebanese uh, churches kind of start to pull their, their origins from, is from that Antioch area. The fourth part, we see St. Paul now in prison. And he's also bearing witness to the gospel. And he has to defend his faith numerous times in the latter part of Acts. St. Paul arrives in Jerusalem where he's imprisoned. And the Lord tells him that he'll be a witness in Rome. And then the last part of Acts is really Paul's journey to Rome. And now the gospel comes to the city of Rome. Where you've got both now Peter and Paul, the two great pillars of the early church in the same city. Where they're both, where they're both martyred. In very different ways. And then the other thing we see, too, is Luke writes this as a history, kind of a history book, but there's also times in, in Acts where he says, I, and it's talking about Luke himself, I was there, I was with Paul, I was with Paul and Barnabas, I was present at this. So Luke is talking about his personal account of being there, even though he's telling a, a, a story of, of history. That makes sense. I mean, when you read it, you'll say, "Oh, that's it." You see the, the eyes. The theology behind Acts. We see the infant church growing from Pentecost. I mean, it explodes rapidly. Boom! Here it comes, and it just starts. It just, it just doesn't stop. There's, a, there's an, old, an older movie from the 70s, Jesus of Nazareth. And at the end of that movie, I mean, it's like it was a miniseries, actually, on TV. At the end of that movie, one of the guys in the Sanhedrin, they're talking, and he goes, well, I'm glad this is over with. You got, they're talking about Jesus, the death of Christ, and it was like on Good Friday. And this young figure of the Sanhedrin, he was like a scholar, part of the Sanhedrin, says, no, this is just the beginning. It like, just gives you the goosebumps. You're know, like, yeah, man, here we come. So uh, super excited. Um, so, again, we start to see um, how, especially with the early church fathers, you start to see how Catholic the early church truly is. Um, Acts the Apostle is also known as the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. What 
the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because it directs, because the Holy Spirit directs the apostolic duty of the... Uh, Before the gospel of the Holy Spirit, what was that first part I didn't catch? There's just no, the gospel, the Acts of the Apostles is no, known as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Again, I already told you this. So the Peter is the main character of the first half of the book. Paul is the second, second main character. Heavy emphasis, obviously, on Jesus as the Christ who alone brings salvation to mankind. And the big thing we start to see in Luke, see, we see this in Luke's gospel too, is salvation is open to all, not just the Jews. Now, you got to think about how awesome it must have been for St. Luke because of writing his gospel. We get the, the infancy narratives from St. Luke, and we see them in Matthew too, but the real detailed infancy narratives. So Luke, we believe, had access to the Blessed Mother in some form or another, where he literally, I mean, I, as a guy who writes about the Blessed Mother on a weekly basis, being able to sit down with Mary, okay, uh, would be just, I don't, know, I don't have the words for you. I mean, it's just so amazing to understand that he sat down. Now, all the, God, all the apostles, even though it was John that took Mary into his home and cared for her, all, we believe all the early apostles had a, had a motherly type, had a mother-son relationship with her. That's where we get a lot of the traditions with, with Mary, and we start to learn, um, especially from the Eastern side of the church, so many of these traditions with Mary. Um, okay. I can go down uh, rabbit holes, so especially when I'm talking about Mama Mary. So I gotta, yeah. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stay focused. I gotta stay focused. So um, there are 18 total speeches in Acts of the Apostles. Speeches. We also start to see the hierarchy developing in Acts of the Apostles. We have apostles and then deacons. The term that's usually used in Acts of the Apostles is presbyters, but that's like priests, and then bishops. So the early apostles really were the first bishops of the church. And then that's when they started to ordain as they started to found, as they went out and started to find um, these churches. St. Paul would be considered, uh, he would be considered obviously an apostle, not one of the original 12, but obviously still an apostle. We would consider him an early bishop of the church as well. The reading actually on Sunday, the second reading on Sunday talks about, uh, this past Sunday, talk, I, I lectured at uh, Mary Magdalene, so talks about Paul, how he's unworthy and on the, you know, ab born, born abnormally, he says born abnormally because he, he, he comes after the, after the 12. Um, we also start to see uh, a sacrament. We start to see the sacraments as well in Acts. The most important of all the 
uh, sacraments in Acts is baptism. We see baptism emphasized quite a bit in all of Acts. We'll see that Paul will eventually baptize later on. Paul baptizes these individuals who were once baptized by St. John. But John's baptism, and obviously the baptism of Paul, which is Jesus' baptism, which is what we get, um, which we all have, uh, is different than what John was preaching. John was preparing for the coming of, of Christ, the baptism that we have with, with the grace of the sacrament. We also see confirmation in Acts of the Apostles. We see that in chapter 8, specifically, verses 15 and 17, 15, 16, and 17. So when you read through some of this, I want you to also think about your own. Now, if you were a baby when you were baptized, you can't remember that. I do have pictures of my baptism, um, which is actually on St. Patrick's Day. So um, I know because I know, I've, I've written about it on my blog. Um, and then, so, but you, a lot of you either have children grandchildren. I mean, think about when you read through Acts, think about these, these, these times you've seen, you've experienced baptism. Think about what it was like in the early church, what baptism was like. Now it's, it's uh, you know, the church and the theology, sacramentally, sacramental theology, all of this stuff develops over the centuries. Um, but the baptism, confirmation, Eucharist that we have in the early church is, is very much so the same the same sacraments that we have today. And we also see the Eucharist in Acts of the Apostles as well. We see that early on in chapter 2, where it talks about the breaking of the bread. And in chapter 20 as well, we see elements of, of the Eucharist. The big thing we see in the right, and we'll talk about it next week, is the Council of Jerusalem. That's a big, that's another big event that we see. We see the hierarchy acting together. We see the magisterium for the first time in the church working together. The magisterium is the official teaching office of the church, made up of the pope and the bishops. So the Council of Jerusalem is really the first ecumenical council we, we have in the church, in the early church. So Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council, was the second one. We, that's, the, that's the last ecumenical council we've had. But the Council of Jerusalem really is the beginning of the ecumenical councils. And that's where we'll get, we'll talk more about that. There was, there's no need for circumcision in the Mosaic Law. Because that's the big argument, is do the, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised before they are baptized? Okay, so that's kind of an overview of, of Acts. The first, two, the first two chapters, the information is a little bit more detailed in my notes. Then as we get, as we get further on, uh, it's, not, it's not as detailed, more just kind of summary. But I want you, even though, I'm lecture, even though I'm teaching all of this to you today, I want you to make sure you, that you read, read stuff too, because there's stuff that I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to cover as much as I can. But make sure that you read if you haven't read it yet. Okay, so chapter 1, we see, 
where we, it, we, set, we see Luke going back to Theophilus, okay? Where he says, O Theophilus. O Theophilus, there's, there's two thoughts behind this name. Either he's an educated Christian, some type of Roman aristocrat, who paid for Luke to write his story. That's one, that's one idea. The other one, and it could be like a, it's not, it's not an either or, it could be an, like a both and. The other idea is that it's a literary device used by Luke referencing a person, and Theophilus means beloved of God, which means all people that love God this is written to you. So again, it's either an individual or this idea that it's written to all of us as lovers of God. So again, Theophilus means beloved of God, which means all of us that love God, it's written to everyone. Now, it's a, it could be both and. It could be this guy's name, but this guy's name means this. So, that's, so he's writing, writing to him and to all of us. Okay. Um, that actually he's trying to explain his faith to someone who's skeptical of, of God or of, of the high priest and the church type thing. But I mean, I've never been a familiar with the Why would I want to know these kinds of things? It's just a bad Okay. Yeah, I've never heard that one. I've heard these from, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's other theories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the church does, but uh, so. Okay, so Acts chapter 1. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we see that Jesus discusses the kingdom of God. And what our Lord is saying is that the kingdom of God is now. What's funny is the apostles are with them for three years. And they're still asking, are you going to reestablish the kingdom of, Sol of David and Solomon? You're thinking, you know, it's one of these moments where it's just like, really? It's bigger than that, okay? Um, but that's what they're thinking. They're thinking he's going to reestablish the, the, the geographical kingdom that's, that, David, that David established and that Solomon had. And, of course, then it falls apart. In all, all chaos, you know, David unites the kingdom and then it splits and then it goes, then they're sent into exile eventually. But he's talking about the kingdom, a larger kingdom, not just the geographical kingdom. Um, in verse 4, it talks about eating while they were eating. Your RSV, the one that I use, the RSV, says staying the NAB talks about meeting but really the Greek translation is eating that they were eating and the the root word of that in the Greek means to take salt to take salt with so like in an idiom for sharing a meal remember what Jesus says on the cross I will not you know where he says to the apostles I won't 
Uh, I won't uh, eat again until I share the kingdom of, essentially I share the kingdom of God with you. You know, now we see him eating with the apostles. We saw, you know, we see it with uh, the, the fish in the, the fire pit in, 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 in John. But we start, we're also seeing that our Lord is sharing a meal with the, with the apostles here in early Acts. There's the promise of the Holy Spirit. It tells that the Holy Spirit will come again. Remember, so you, you take the Gospels and you also connect it with what we're seeing in Luke. And he breathes on the apostles. Well, now he's telling the apostles, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He also tells them, don't leave Jerusalem. Because they already went back to fishing once. Okay, that's what Peter and the, you know, he's, he's growing the fish. So it's like Jesus, you know, on the cross, we have, we have the passion. And what, what does Peter go do? Well, what he's, what he's done all his life, goes back to fishing. But now he tells them, don't go back to fishing um, because something else is going to come. And then the church would then spread from Jerusalem. So the church and the kingdom of God are now connected. Christ connects them. I'm going to leave, I'll leave this up there. I'm trying to put the distance learning crew. So, so, it's kind of hard to see with that, with that thing there. But, all right, I'm just going to draw on it. But, so, this is how, the, how it was explained to me. Okay, so this line is the visible reality. And I'll get out of the way. Okay? The kingdom of God is like an upside-down iceberg. Okay? Where the majority of... So, like an iceberg is underneath the water. That's a lot more there. So, that's just... That's just okay? So, like an iceberg, an upside-down iceberg. Icebergs are usually, there's a ton of them underwater. You don't see much on top. Okay? So this is the visible reality. Here you've got earth, okay, which is the church militant. And then above the visible reality, what we don't see, you've got purgatory and you have heaven. And this is the church suffering in purgatory. And then in heaven, it's the church triumphant. So the kingdom, so Christ is now saying that the, the church and the kingdom of God, the established, what I'm going to establish, the kingdom of God, is not just some geographical land. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. It contains all things. And what we see, what we see with the church and the kingdom of God here on earth, we only see a small part of it. There's so much more to the kingdom of heaven than what we see here on earth. And that's the whole, that's one, again, one of the big themes that we see in Acts is this idea of the kingdom of God. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
I'll use that again in a little bit because there's something else I want to explain to you. Because the way the way the way David the way David brings the kingdom is the same way the church goes out. Okay. So then in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Remember, the apostles thought, I mean, the Jews were expecting a Messiah that was going to kind of like come and, you know, throttle the Romans, you know, kind of put the big hurt on them. That's what they thought was. They, that's what they thought the they thought the uh, the Messiah was going to do. But what Christ does is he fills all. He fulfills the political movements spiritually. So all of the politics that were involved in the early the early early Judaism at the time of Christ. Jesus fulfills these political movements spiritually since he's enthroned in heaven. And with the redemption of Israel and now welcoming the Gentiles into the church. So he kind of like, you know, he does what the Jews wanted, but not in a, they thought military, they thought in a military type of way where you're going to have, you know, legions fighting for him. But what he does is he does it, but he does it in a spiritual way. He unites all of these movements, these political movements, and now he's reigning as king of the kingdom of God. And then we start to see the Gentiles now welcomed into the church. Yeah, they were more militant. Yeah. So you've got numerous, and I don't know what you guys, I don't know what you guys got for the first class, but and I want to, that's another rabbit hole I can go down, because I just taught it to our, I taught it to our parents at the parent sessions for our family catechesis program. But um, the, uh, you've got numerous groups in the early, in early Judaism. So you have the Pharisees, most, most of us remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who hated each other until they crucified Jesus. Then they got along at that point because they both couldn't stand Jesus. Jesus called them all out. You also had the Essenes. You ever, if you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls were written by the Essenes. They're monastic. They, weren't ma- they, were, they were unmarried men that were celibate. Um, they're like our, kind of our, the ancient version of, the, of monastic orders. And they were the ones that wrote, wrote the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, and then you had the Zealots as well. That was another big group. And they were more militarist. They were the ones that more... Judas, we believe Judas was uh, a Zealot. He was more like, let's, you know, let's attack the Romans. Okay. So you, that's, what, that's what you're dealing with. And then you've also, within the, that group too, you've got... Um, you also have the Jews that lived outside of Jerusalem. That's known as diaspora, like diaspora Judaism. So they were Jews that lived in the Mediterranean, but they spoke Greek, but they were still Jew- they still practiced Jewish law. They followed the Mosaic law. They just didn't live in Jerusalem. 
And what's funny is the other, and again, this is a rabbit hole I don't want to go down, but each of those, each of those groups had their own canons. So they had their own, they had their own scriptures. And it wasn't until really around the fourth century when the church started putting together the Bible that we know, the canon, that Judaism started to put their books together because all four, all those groups had different canons. The, no, there were ones like one of them. I think I forget who it was. One of them only had two, two of the five books of the Torah. So they didn't have. Yeah, they had different. The I think it was the Essenes. The Essenes, I think, were the ones that had the closest to our Old Testament. Like well, all all of those books. Okay, so then then we also get the time. Of, there's a promise of the time of restoration, <clears throat> where Jesus says he's going to. God promised to reunite the tribal family of Israel. So there's this restoration period that is going to that we're also going to, that we also see in early Acts. And when, we, when we talk about when we talk about uh, Pentecost, I'll bring that up a little bit more. But this idea of restoring the tribal family that once was the early tribal family. Restoring them all under kind of the umbrella of the Catholic Church. And then in verse 8, we see exactly what, what we, the exact same thing we see that David did happens in chapter, in verse, um, in verse 8. We get the promise of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> But then we talk, it, there's, the, there's the, the discussion of how the kingdom would spread. Okay? When David unites the kingdom in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, he starts with Jerusalem, okay, which is known as David's city. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me set this up a little bit better for you. The way David unites the kingdom and brings everyone into himself is the same way now the son of David, Jesus Christ, and the church will then go out. So David brings everyone in, but here they're going out. And it's the same, the same setup. So Jerusalem, David's city. Then what David did is he conquered Judea which is the region, which is David's tribe. Then from here, it goes out to Samaria, which is David's nation. And then from here, we go to the ends of the earth. And that's how the church spreads. And really, the ends of the earth are what, we, what you would call like David's vassals. So when David unites the kingdom in the, early, in the ancient world, uh, let's see. You guys... This is an old version. You guys have the Bible timeline? Okay. All right. So look at this. So when David unites the kingdom, 
He conquers Jerusalem, which wasn't a it wasn't a Jewish city. I think I forget I forget who uh, Edomites, one of those one of those ancient world one of those ancient civilizations. They they oversaw Jerusalem. He conquers Jerusalem. Then he then he then he conquers Judea. Then Samaria. Then the ends of the earth. So and the ends of the earth. The David's vassals. These were these were the, the Gentiles at the time. Now. The church, the son of David, Jesus Christ, with the church from starts to spread from Jerusalem, then to, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So the same way the church, David brought the kingdom to himself, the church then goes out the same way. Does that make sense? Okay. This is all you guys have learned about typology, right? Okay. This is all typo. This is where we start to see typology come alive. Where you're like, when, first time I ever learned this stuff in grad school, I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, hashtag my blown. So, yeah, it was nuts. It was crazy because you start learning all this, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is just wild. So, okay. So, so then, so the ends of the earth again. The ends of the earth. That's where you start to see the, the Gentiles coming into the church with the ends of the earth. Okay. All right. Now, Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. We start to see a small group of the apostles along with Mary. A lot of people say, well, what were they doing in the early church like at this point? Praying together is after the ascension of Christ. Praying, focusing on prayer, focusing on the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, imagine being in the upper room waiting for, I mean, what they knew, well, what we know to be the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, being there with the Blessed Mother. You know, I have a question regarding that. He, Christ told them that the Holy Spirit was coming. The apostles probably didn't really get what he was saying yet, but as soon as, as, soon as Pentecost came, it was a whole different, yeah. I mean, you, you got to think, you know, everyone, the, the apostles get a bad rap sometimes for just kind of being thick in the head. I mean, Mother Angelica used to, she used to abuse those poor guys, and because she used to call them dumb, and, and she's like, Peter was an idiot, and he used to put his foot in his mouth, which is true, he did. Uh, before Pentecost, but, um, you know, but yeah, the apostles probably just knew Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem, and he promised the Holy Spirit. Did, it, it, did they know what it was going to look like exactly? Probably not, but then once Pentecost comes, it all, it all changes. I mean, that's the beauty of, or, that's the beauty of ordination. You think priestly ordination. I mean, all, you talk to any of your priests, the day before they're ordained, and then the day after they're ordained, and there's a major difference in their, you know, it's like something, there's a, as we know, like holy orders, as long as well as baptism and confirmation, there's that indelible mark on our soul. So they all, the day, the hours before, they're like, I'm not worthy, I'm not going to do this, I don't want to do this now. And then once they're ordained, once the bishop lays his hand on them, it's a whole different, it's a whole different ballgame. Um, 
And then we see that Matthias is elected to replace Judas. And he's given the office, okay, which is really the office of bishop, the episcopacy. And then we, we really see authority in the church is, not, is appointed, not elected. Authority is, is appointed. The, and then that's where we see apostolic succession starting to, take, starting to take place. So things that we know as Catholics growing up all our lives, things, ideas that we have, we start, you know, these are like very, the very beginning stages of them. Although it would be exciting to be alive in the early church, I feel blessed that we have 2,000 years of, of uh, Christianity, Catholicism, that helps us along. And we've got the early church fathers, we've got Aquinas and all the scholars, you've got Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila, you've got all these great doctors of the church. It's awesome. But it's for us, there's a blessing as well being alive now. Um, you know, and we're dealing with stuff that, um, you know, the early church, we're dealing with stuff now in the church that we've seen from, from day one. Uh, betrayals and, I mean, Jesus, one of Jesus', Jesus apostles betrayed him. I mean, he was one of the original 12. And he still betrayed him. All right, Acts chapter 2. Here we go. We're getting to Pentecost. I love talking about Pentecost. All right, so Pentecost, though, originally was the Feast of the Law of Moses. So I think a lot of us as Catholics, we think, oh, it's, it's definitely a Catholic a, a feast day. Well, it is one of the big major solemnities. I mean, it's huge. It's always on Sunday, you know, 40 days after Easter. But it's where, where did Pentecost start? So it was actually the Feast of the Law of Moses, and it was originally known as the Feast of Weeks. Weeks, like week, like like, like a week, W E E K S. Okay, it was also known as the Feast of Harvest because it had to do with the harvest, the spring harvest. Now, years later, among Greek-speaking Jews, the feast became known as Pentecost. We see it in we see the, the first name of it in, in Tobit, uh, in the book of Tobit, chapter two, verse one. Pentecost means fiftieth. It's actually the Greek is Pentecost Pentecosti. And it refers to the timing of the festival, which took place 50 days after the spring harvest, or the spring celebration of Passover. So 50 days after the spring celebration of Passover.
In the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Harvest, is one of the three major feasts. This is where we start to see like how why Easter is never on the same on the same uh, day. You know, Christmas is always on the 20, you know, Christmas Eve 20 foot 24th to 25th, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But because of the spring harvest, that's why Easter always kind of moves around. And it goes back to these feasts that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, in, um, so like in Leviticus, the feast, so the feast is calculated to occur seven, we seven weeks from the day of the presentation. Uh, seven weeks. So the feast, so Pentecost is so in, in Leviticus, where that's Leviticus where we see a lot of the, uh, the worship of ancient Israel, calculated seven weeks from the day of the presentation of the first sheaf of barley. So like when the first fruits came out. And it all was tied into the Passover. Passover is super, super important. With all, with all of this, with all of these feasts. And again, the Feast of Weeks was a harvest festival. So if, if you're, if any of you came, if you've come from the Midwest of the country, people, you know, like the ability to harvest the wheat, you know, there's always, sometimes there's like, I have friends that live, that, that come from the, like the Midwest states of Nebraska, Omaha, you know, Nebraska, not Omaha, that's a, that's a city. Nebraska and Kansas, where there's where there's festivals that go on around the harvest. All of that stuff descends from stuff like this. Okay? If you're from the Midwest, you know, if you're not, I mean, you know, it's just, it's, you know, I I grew up in, we grew up in an urban part of New Jersey for a long time, for my parents did. So harvest feasts were like, what the heck is a harvest feast? So you got to go out to the farms in New Jersey to find that stuff. But that's why it was important, because the, the first fruits were, were, coming, were coming about. Um, now, in Deuteronomy, we see it become a pilgrim feast. And what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy is like, when you get to the Holy Land... This feast will then become a pilgrim feast where you'll go, where you'll come, to, where you'll go to Jerusalem specifically for this feast. You know, like we travel to Rome for Christmas and Easter. Those, that's a pilgrim city. Well, Jerusalem also was a pilgrim city. Like when Jesus is, you know, when Jesus is young, he gets lost, you know, gets lost in the They went up to Jerusalem for the Passover. You would eventually go to, you know, there was a, there was a certain um, pilgrim, like it was like a, a pilgrim market, like an economy, a, pil a pilgrimage economy. So you go to Rome, instead of, instead of bringing bags of rosaries with you, you buy your rosaries there, you have the Pope bless you, and then you bring them back. That's the same thing in Jerusalem. It's the same, same thing. 
You wouldn't buy, you wouldn't buy like for the sacrifice, the lambs, the sacrifice. Now, of course, if you have a giant rosary like this, okay, maybe you want to bring this with you, okay, but um, these are, it's a paracord rosary made out of paracord from rugged rosaries. Things are, it's going to beat Satan over the head. So, um, you can pray, pray to beat up Satan and beat up Satan over the head with this thing. My wife and I were in Rome October 14th for the um, um, uh, the mass for uh, canonization mass for St. Paul VI at uh, Archbishop Oscar Romero. Sure. And um, we brought back about 200 rosaries that was left at the mass by Pope Francis. And we gave those out to our students at the catechism and, and people in our parish said yes and all that. So it was a flexibility. So that's so that's what Jerusalem was. So that's why that's why you have all these people in Jerusalem. Okay? Now in the New Testament, Pentecost is the day when the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles in Jerusalem. Pentecost is known as the founding of the church and the bearer of God's spirit to the world. Yeah, so Pentecost is the, so the, it's, the, it's the birth, it's essentially the birth of the Holy, the birth of the church. That's really what I, yeah, I, I shortened it for you. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what we celebrate. Yes. No. So it's more, yeah, we, so, so Pentecost is more like, is, is, yeah, so like the, we celebrate all of those days together, but so essentially from Easter to Pentecost, it's 50 days. So, yeah. Okay, so now what we see also is the table of nations and Babel. Uh, now, in Genesis chapter 10, in Genesis chapter 11, you know, now we're, going, we're just going to go back to Genesis real, real briefly. This is where you see that the, everyone's read probably the, the Tower of Babel. Okay? You've got all these, all these people together. They want to build this giant tower to heaven. Um, instead of spreading throughout the earth, which was the commandment really to spread, and you know, they all gathered together. So what God does, essentially, he confuses their language, and then eventually the people scatter. They, they, they scatter. And you've got what's known as the Table of Nations. There were 70 nations that came to build this, this tower, which were all known as the families of the earth at the time in Genesis. Now, this is where Acts, of the Apostle, where Acts chapter 2 is important. Because what we're seeing is the table, those table of nations that were scattered years later are now going to come back to come back to God, come back to Christ under the umbrella of the Catholic Church, and it all happens at Pentecost. Because all of those descendants of those table of nations are now the people that are in Jerusalem. So let me let's okay. So and I'll get to that in, in about two minutes. So Verse, verse 2, we see a mighty wind. Verse 3, you get tongues of fire. 
And in verse 19, you see smoke. <clears throat> Where in the Old Testament do we see all of these same things? Yeah, so Mount Sinai. Okay? All three of these things, wind, tongues of fire, and smoke, remind us of Mount Sinai when God appeared to Moses and the Israelites. So this is one of those big moments. Kind of like a burn, it's like a, a burning bush. It's like lots of burning bushes. Okay, Pentecost is like, you know, set the world on fire. Where the apostles were waiting was the upper room. Also part of David's old compound. So the building that they're in was part of David's old kind of castle. Connecting Jesus again, now going back to David. If you look at the prophets, like the big, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, uh, Isaiah, all the big prophets, they all talk about the restoration and the covenant of Zion, how Zion would be restored, how David's kingdom would be restored. And they all talk about fire, wind, and divine power. So in, in, with Moses and on Mount Sinai, we're getting the old law. We get the, 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 the mosaic, what we know is the mosaic law. Now where we're getting, and Jesus started it with his three-year missionary, okay, like we think the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching, but now what we're getting is a new Sinai. We're getting fire, wind, and divine power now in Jerusalem on Pentecost. And now it's not the old law, it's the new law. It's the new covenant. It's the one that Christ established and fulfills. He fulfills the old law. He doesn't abolish it, Matthew 5, 17. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. So Sinai and Pentecost in Jerusalem, very similar because similar things are happening. Now, verse 5 talks about in Jerusalem, the Jews and devout men from every nation. So all of these people from all these different nations are now descending upon Jerusalem for the harvest feast. They're coming to bring their first fruits. All of these nations of people are all the descendants of the table of nations from Genesis chapter 10. So all of those nations that got scattered throughout the world, all of these people that we read about in Acts chapter 2 is literally, they are literally the descendants of all those people. So God scatters them in, at Babel, but now we're going to see them united and restored in the church. So Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. The sin of Babel is being undone in the Catholic Church. As again, we have this restoration of the family of God. So, we see in Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible out, I'm going to just read this really quickly. 
I've read this countless times as a lector for Mass, so you're going to see why, because I, I, I go through these names like it's... So we get to this whole point where it's act... Um, you know, I'll start at chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's the table of nations. And at this sound, the multitude came together... And they were bewildered because each one heard of them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? I'll answer that in a, question, in a second. You have Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, I'll talk about them too, Cretans and um, uh, Arabians, we hear them telling uh, in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So again, all of those nations from, from Genesis chapter 10 are now all of these different peoples. How can they hear? So the, I, there's two theories behind this. One is that through the intercession of the Holy Spirit, the apostles literally learned these other languages. Okay, that's a little loose, but all right. The other way that's more, and this is the one that I've always been taught, and I've heard, I just, Father Chris was just explaining this to our parents the other night. Let's say, I'm going to just use, Om, I'm going to use Omar, right? Omar, okay, I'm going to use you, I'm going to use you as an example. You're speaking... I'm just going to take, let's take, let's take wild languages, okay? Uh, you're, you're speaking Swahili, okay? All right? On Japan, ja I'm just, uh, Japan, Japanese isn't that wild, but okay. But you're, you're speaking Swahili. I hear it. Let's say I speak Japanese. I hear it in Japanese. I respond to you in Japanese. You hear it in Swahili. That's probably, because that's what it is, the, 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 how do we all hear it in their own language? So that's the idea. Yes, sir. I don't, I don't, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the full context of it all. So, um, in regards to Acts, though, that's the two theories on how they either, they either learn the language. I, I don't know if they actually learn the languages, uh, but here, but the way they speak to one another is now that'd be kind of cool. For the, okay, I mean, even, you know, 
There's times, I, I mean, I know a little Spanish, and I wish I knew more. There's times where I, even living in Arizona, I'm thinking, man, I wish I had those the, the things that the apostles had. Because there's times where I wish I could speak more Spanish than I, than I do. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not, my, my struggle is language. I, I mean, I, I speak two languages, bad English and good English. So, uh, so uh, but that's, that's, so that's the understanding that we see uh, in Acts. That's how, the, that's how it's explained. Yeah. So, yeah. But you don't. He, you, but you don't. That's if you know the. If you know that second language, these are people that. Pro, these are Galileans. The apostles were poor fishermen, so their understanding. They were speaking probably like Aramaic. Like Aramaic was the language, and then, uh, you know, maybe knew some Greek, but not, not enough. But that's so. Okay. Let's move on. So Peter addresses the crowd in Acts chapter 2 after Pentecost now. We see the first sermon of Peter. We'll take a break here shortly. So Peter's first address, God has fulfilled the promises made to David. We also see Peter interpreting scripture. We see Peter reference the Davidic covenant. You guys went through the covenants in your Old Testament in the Old Testament classes, right? Yeah. yeah okay. So yeah, so he's he's referencing. See, so it's like there's a there's a significant difference and change i mean you know all of a sudden peter's preaching you know you know the holy spirit inspires them to preach and to 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 un make make all these people understand uh you know christ as the anointed one is that uh, chapter 2 verse 14 is where you're referencing that uh, yeah that's actually yeah so that's right after so in your book uh yeah, it's right. It's in uh, well, it's verse twenty nine and before, where it starts. Uh, yeah, for, yeah, fourteen. Correct. Yeah, I'm, look, my, I've got my problem is with this Bible. I've, I've got so much written in it that I, I don't actually see the stuff that the was written in it originally. So yeah, so like that's the beginning of my Acts. Okay, so I mean it's just it's just so yeah, starting at fourteen where Peter addresses the crowd. Um, we also see, uh, he talks about in verses 33 and 34, the right hand of God. Where Jesus is now enthroned in heaven. And there's an important thing that we see in verse 37. So in verse 37, it references cutting to the heart. 
It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Okay, so in Deuteronomy 30, chapter 30, verse 6, it talks about how the heart would be circumcised, how the cutting of the heart would occur in the, like in the, new, in a, in a new covenant. Deuteronomy what? Uh, 30, 30 ver, uh, chapter 30, verse 6. So the heart would be circumcised. Here we talk about this cutting of the heart. And it's in relation to baptism. The cutting of the heart is a cleansing of the hardness of hearts. So like with circumcision, you would cut off the foreskin that was seen as unclean. But when you cut the heart, you're cutting the uncleanliness of the heart. And that's what baptism does. It cleans us. It washes our, not just our hearts, but our souls. So that idea that baptism is that, is that, that cutting of, the, of our hardness of hearts. And what's interesting, too, is in Jeremiah 31.31, he talks about the law being written on your hearts. But your heart had to be, like, purified before the law could be written on it. Jeremiah says the, 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 the commandments were written on stone. But in the new covenant, the law will be written on your hearts. And you all know what I'm talking about. I mean, you, we, as Catholics, we have this understanding that what, what baptism does for us. And if you've come back to the faith after being away, you really have an understanding of it. So that cutting of the heart, that, that, that you know, because we all have hard hearts. We all struggle. We all think we know better than God. That's that, that. You know, think about every time you go to mass, every time, not even, not even mass, every time you walk into a Catholic church, what do you do? You dip your finger in the holy water font and you, you cross yourselves. Okay, it reminds us of our baptism. All right, let me do Acts chapter 3 real quick, because it's, and then these literally, the next chapters are all pretty quick. Um, so Acts chapter 3. From here, we see that the apostles become men of prayer. And we start to see uh, miracles being worked. So prayer and miracles is what we're seeing. And then also Peter and John heal for the first time. So that's Acts uh, verses 1 through 10. Men of prayer and workers of miracles. And Peter and John are, he are healing now, which is really what God, God's in endorsing their work. It's not Peter and John that are healing. It's Jesus Christ that are healing through the, the apostles. It's like the saints, the intercession of the saints. 
when we pray for, like, I don't know if you guys, blessed John Newman, Cardinal Newman, they're going to canonize him. The Pope, uh, they pushed this canonization through. There was a woman here in the United States that was healed from, uh, I think she was pregnant. She, it was something, I don't know the story. I know she was pregnant. She had something wrong with the pregnancy. They prayed to John Newman, who we believe is in heaven, who's praying to God. And, you know, the healing comes from our Lord. Um, and now they go back to her doctors and the doctor's like, it's like she didn't even have this. You know, like we can't explain it scientifically. So, oh, I'll go down that rabbit hole. I love talking about the saints. Okay. Um, then in Acts uh, 11, uh, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 26, we see the apostles preaching at a place that Jesus liked to teach at, Solomon's portico, which is part of the old, uh, the old, uh, Kingdom space. Peter talks about both the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. This is where we see typology, kind of well, typology being done by Peter, in a sense, because he's saying all the promises that were made to the patriarchs, Jesus fulfilled all these things. He talks about how Jesus was a prophet like Moses in verse 22. He also connects Isaac and Jesus, you know, the binding of Isaac, Isaac and Abraham. He talks about how Christ is a type of Isaac. In verse 25, there's the mention of in your seed, which is going back to the Abrahamic covenant. That the seeds of the, you know, the, the, the seed of Abraham is now, is now Christ, is now fulfilling all of what was promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. And then you've got 15, 17, and 22, all those, all those chapters, all those things are now being fulfilled by Christ. <clears throat> 